If you had it to do all over again, what would you do the same and what would you do differently? I can tell you that the older you get, the longer your list of answers becomes. Recently, I've been thinking about what I would add to my list of youth ministry strategies and practices if I was starting off this school year leading a local church youth ministry. I've come up with a list that I hope will encourage and equip you to be more effective in your youth ministry, and we're talking about that list on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I just asked Chris Wagner what episode this is. It's episode... 157. 157. That is so hard to believe. You know, and then I then I wind up getting earworms when I think about, you know, how much time has passed. And the thing that jumps into my head all the time, I don't know why I get this song, but I don't know if you remember the Steve Miller band. Time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's where it goes. And man, it is flying. Uh, Labor Day is past. We are here at the beginning of September. School has started for everybody. Uh, I'm one of those guys who really prefers school starting after Labor Day. It just seems like if school starts before then, it's an absolute interruption to the summer and it messes up my I feel bad for kids, right? You know that that they don't get to experience what I experienced back in my childhood with you know waiting till after Labor Day. So, uh, but school's back in session, and youth group is back in session. All of us with our youth ministries, we have planned, or we are lamenting that we have not yet planned, but looking into the future, and we're going to have a conversation today about some of the elements of youth ministry that maybe a lot of times are just forgotten. Uh, that, that I want to encourage people to remember. A lot of this relates to what's happening in the culture right now. We don't want to miss these things. A lot relates to the state of ministry and the spiritual state of kids as we listen to the research and as we anecdotally rub elbows with kids and chat with them what our great desires are for them. So we're going to have that conversation. Before we jump into that, though, our last podcast, which I think this will be a good follow-up to, was on Parent ministry, you know, what are you going to do with parents? And we had a giveaway, Chris. I'm trying to remember, what was it we gave away? And you have a winner yes. to announce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you put together a pack of, of, of resources, uh, a stack of books, and some other things that we threw in there. And our winner from last podcast was youth worker Katie Schneider. She is a director of youth ministry at uh, Highview EPC somewhere in Wisconsin. So congratulations, Katie. We'll be in touch to get you your resource packet. That, yeah, uh, yeah. And it, now that I remember what we called that, it was a, uh, a parenting library. And we want to recommend to all youth workers that you have a bunch of resources, good, trustworthy resources on your right. shelf for parents to have and, and to put in their hands whenever. So, Chris, thanks for taking care of that. Uh, I, I just want to say, you know, as we start another year here, another season with a podcast, really appreciate, Chris, what you do to make this happen. I mean, a lot of people don't know Chris 
learned all this on the fly. And if you could see him sitting here, it's not he's not sitting behind a little Mac laptop with, uh, you know, a, a uh, Blue Yeti microphone like Kyle is, who's joining us. Right, Kyle? Are you sitting behind a Mac? Yeah. I'm sitting behind a MacBook Air. Yeah, MacBook Air with it with the uh, Blue Yeti. Uh, the Blue those Yeti are, this is great, but I mean, we have, I would say, a professional studio here. You know, we've got he's got this bank of monitors, and if I go over there and stand behind him, I'm looking at things that I have no idea what they are. We have sound panels on the walls. It's. Uh, I would it's say a Chris is a, a is a true professional. He is certified. But that's all. That's also why there's no video version of this. Podcast. Yeah, we're going to get to that sooner or later. Adding the video so folks can watch, and maybe we'll do some live podcasts as well. But today, uh, we've invited in Kyle Hoffsmith again. We know everybody's familiar with Kyle. If you listen to the Word and Youth Ministry podcast, Kyle has taken the lead on that, working with a wonderful group of folks, Linda Oliver and Matt Beam, who. Uh, all of them, as experienced youth workers, are committed to teaching the Bible. And Kyle, that podcast just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, we're enjoying, uh, Walt, as we've talked about before, just being able to have a podcast where the three of us, Linda, Matt, and myself, are able to discuss uh, different uh, different ways to teach the Bible to students and interview different guests on um, not only why it's important, but so not only we can grow in competencies, I think uh, I'll speak for myself, I can grow in competencies as a Bible teacher, but hopefully it's helpful for other people as well. So we're excited yeah. about it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, what you're dealing with there is is really at the essence. I mean, it's at the core of what we're about in youth ministry in terms of teaching and discipling and nurturing kids. And so yeah. um, I've learned, as I've listened to the podcast, I've learned a lot. I've, I've been... Um, Really pleased with what you guys are doing, and I'm and I'm happy that that you're all uh, combined this. I mean, I, I just listened to the three, and I'm going, man, there's a lot of smarts on that podcast, and a lot of very good practical advice. And I know you're getting a lot of feedback through emails and and otherwise. I just want to let you know, you know, as I travel, I hear people say, I mean, you know, that things are getting traction when you hear people come up to you and say. Hey, that new podcast you're doing, the Word and Youth Ministry. Well, it's not so new anymore. It's about a year and a half in, but well, yeah, over you a know, year now. just just uh, so good, so good. So thanks for. Well, we're uh, thankful to yeah. thankful to have it, and thankful for you for yeah. hosting it. So thanks for doing that. So uh, if if you have not listened to our Parent Ministry podcast, the last one, episode 156, we want to encourage you to go back because we're really working to equip you and encourage you to mm-hmm. be involved in ministry to parents this year. It, it's so important for us. And so we're, we gave a lot of tips and, and uh, guidelines and uh, resources as well that will be helpful for you. And even if you're, uh, we, we think a lot about the youth workers who maybe are younger, uh, they're not married, they don't have kids. They ask the question, you know, do I even have anything to say to parents? And so we addressed some of that. But that whole podcast, if you listen to it, that came out of a commitment that I had uh, after I graduated from Gordon-Conwell Seminary to do parent ministry, which eventually morphed into what we've been doing here at CPYU for over three decades now. Uh, that's hard to believe. Man, time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. Don't sing, Chris. And, and you know, th- that all started with a professor in a quote-unquote chance meeting, right, the providence of God who I'd never had as a professor. And right before I graduated, he 
encounters me in a hallway, asks my name, and just like very bluntly, it was almost prophetic. Hmm. I mean, he said, "What you know? What are you going to do about ministry to parents, and or what are you going to do with parents?" And hmm. that just changed everything. And so I love that you know being prompted and prodded. You know, what are you going to do about that? Wakes us up and and gets us thinking about you know how to do ministry. Yeah. And Walt, I think that uh, that conversation you had several decades ago is one that I wish more youth workers uh, would have with people who are mentoring them and people who are with them. Because again, if we want to minister correctly to students, uh, the best gateway to know how to do that is by talking to their parents. Because even if students would come to youth ministry every time the door is opened, we'd still only get a small window into their life compared to what their parents see. And uh, we believe biblically that uh, the Bible teaches parents are the the prime or the main disciple makers in their kids' life. And as youth workers, we get to not only come beside their kids, but we get to come beside their parents, which is a little bit where we're going on this episode today. Walt, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, just to think about your time, both at CPYU and as a youth worker um, in, in the local church before that, um, but that if you could get a mulligan— Right, uh, Walt. Are, are you a golfer, Walt? Do you uh, golf? Well, let me let me just say this. All right, my experience with golf. And be honest, because Chris yeah, yeah, will yeah. keep you honest on this one. Well, my I don't play now. Uh, okay. My experience with golf. I, the best way for me to describe it, it. Well, two things. One would be I'm very familiar with the term mulligan because of the okay, way yes. I would play. I didn't I didn't pick up a golf club and play seriously till I was 21 years old. And when I say seriously. Uh, I, I use that term very loosely. Uh, mm. I was the guy who, when I was in high school, uh, a fun night out for me with a bunch of my my male friends would be to go to the driving range and sit there and wait for the Jeep that would go out and collect the balls to start to would, collect. you would try to hit him. Exactly. That's all we yes. did. So it was two things. One, see how far you can hit the, the ball, you know, how hard and how far. So it was mm. always a contest with that. And uh, well, it, was, it was like Happy Gilmore. And then the other thing was just try to nail that Jeep. <laughs> you know, it was just like, I, you know, what is it? I mean, I, what is it about well, guys? Well, do you that, need to confess? Is that a sin? No, no, confess? no. It was actually fun. He was behind, uh, you know, they had like chicken yeah. wire. He was mm-hmm. in there behind chicken wire. So, and mm. I think he knew he was. we were going after him. But uh, um, Well, if if you could have a mulligan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know when I golf, I, I enjoy, you know, foursomes and, you know, fundraisers yeah, yeah. where it's best ball. I'm the guy who usually takes the first putt so that other people can read where the ball goes. But it might go in, usually will not go in, but then it helps the next three people be able to take a good putt. So you're so saying I, you I, actually have strategy. Um, well, I'm assigned strategy. Okay, all right. Uh, but if you were I'd given like a mulligan, that. you could go back yeah. and uh, we could talk to uh, Walt in his 20s. Uh, and Walt was going to redo. Uh, he's going to be, be a brand new youth worker in the local church, knowing what you know now. Yeah. Um, kind of what would you do differently? So I know we have a list. Yeah, uh, yeah, I came up with a list. I knew this through. question was going to be asked. And yeah, these are, and, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. And so I, I just, I would encourage our listeners, I'm thinking as we're having this conversation too, uh, that I think one thing in our youth ministry world that all of us can grow in is the fact of being teachable and to be able to learn. And so as we're having this conversation, I, I want to learn even as I'm part of this conversation, but I just, I'm excited that we can have it because Walt has been tracking not only youth culture um, here at CPYU, but he has been um, working with a lot of youth workers uh, for decades now. 
And so if there's anyone we want to learn mulligans from, one person would be Walt Mueller. So I want to learn uh, from you, Walt. And I want to start, what is at the top of your list? Yeah. The top of your list. If you were going to do a mulligan, not yeah, yeah. meaning you didn't do this at all. Right, but, right. Um, yeah. And and I, and I want to affirm, Kyle, what you said, that a lot of this comes not only out of my own experience and things I wish I would have done or had done better. I mean, some of these were things I was doing, but also in light of the current cultural situation with our kids, yeah. faith is fading, right? I mean, I think yeah. about Faith for Exiles, the book by our friends Mark Matlock and David mm. Kinnaman. You know, only 10% mm. of 18 to 28-year-olds or 18 to 30-year-olds are what would be called resilient disciples. We're seeing very low-level spirituality, kids walking away from faith, a less than dynamic adult faith, a lack of integration of faith in all of life. So this this really flows out of that. So it's my experience and my observation now. So the first thing you ask for this yeah, is not going to surprise you at all. This is like the biggest, well, duh, right? But teach the Bible. Mm. And 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 it's not a—it is a duh, but it's not a duh because I don't you think— You know, Walt, I, I wish we wouldn't even have to mention this one. Exactly. I wish we didn't have to have your podcast, The Word in Youth Ministry. And one of the reasons why we did that was we, yeah. we scoured the World of Youth Ministry podcast. No one had dedicated an entire podcast to that. So— um, and, and so here's what I would say to youth workers, all right? Okay, but youth workers say, well, of course I'm teaching the Bible. Let, let me encourage you with this. I think that teaching the Bible, in my own experience, comes from uh, learning the Bible yourself. I think you have to be a student who dives deep and continues to dive deep and is never satisfied with how deeply you've gone. You need to look for deep pools of biblical knowledge and teaching to swim in. And you know, we all know this, that our teaching grows and, and really is effective out of our excitement and our passion, which is really fueled by our own learning from others who have a passion about the Bible. So, you know, I think about Second Timothy 3, uh, 15 and 16. I'm going to grab my Bible here and just open it up and, uh, you know, just read that to you. I don't have it open and ready to go. Uh, that's well, I a, thought you might have that. I thought you might have those verses memorized. Uh, well, that's the problem. If I say that I do and then I mess it up, um, you know, there's a problem there. But you know, this is very familiar to all of us. Now, Paul is giving marching orders. So this is what we're talking about here. Like it's an older guy mentoring a younger guy, and he reminds Timothy. He says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness." that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So it's not just head knowledge, but it's belief that transforms life and transfers into behavior, you know, that our students, the young men and the young women of God, can be competent and equipped for every good work. And then, you know, if you go into chapter 4, the following verses, I think it really offers an imperative that is is timely. It never It never ceases to be timely but it's especially timely because it almost seems like Paul is defining to Timothy our world today. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So this is serious stuff, right? And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And this is where I think where the culture comes in for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And it's pretty straightforward there. I mean, there's nothing I can really add to that, but that's what we need to do. And so what I would what I would say in a very practical way to youth workers is, yes, there are a lot of wonderful curriculum tools out there, but I think there are so many curriculum tools, some which are suspect, some which are really good, we have to choose them carefully, and we cannot rely on them solely. That It has to come out. When we're teaching someone else's stuff, if we have not internalized it, the passion is just not there. And students respond to the passion of a youth worker who really believes and has internalized what it is they're teaching. Yeah, and I would, I would encourage our listeners today, if teaching curriculum is what you normally do, which is not a bad thing. Curriculum is is super helpful. But I would I just think about a conversation I had with a friend of mine who recently transitioned from teaching curriculum to teaching lessons he came up with on his own. And and he was just expressing how um, maybe life giving would be a word that he would use as he's been doing this. And I would just encourage youth workers uh, don't, you know, trading curriculum for, for teaching your own stuff right away, 100%. Maybe if you're not used to uh, just studying the Bible and teaching it, maybe let, let's try once a quarter that I'm not going to use curriculum and I'm going to just, um, I'm going to create a message out of the Bible. Or, and then maybe once a month. And then maybe, you know, as you go down to even lower than that, but I would just, um, if you've never uh, experimented with putting curriculum aside for a season, um, maybe sometime this year you could do that. Hey Kyle, what you, he said it was life giving. I'm just curious, did he did he clarify that or expand on that at all? I mean, what made it yeah, life giving for I, him? I think that in in the youth ministry world, we know if you're listening to this podcast, there are so many options to use for curriculum, and we need to be careful that when we're picking a curriculum, that it's something that's based off of the Bible rather than based off of. Um, an idea that we want to get across, and then we use the Bible almost like um, legs of a stool to hold the curriculum up. We want the gospel, we want the Bible to be what's powering the curriculum. And so I think for my friend who said this is, I just, I'm not sure he ever actually in 11 or 12 years in youth ministry, um, uh, went to the word, opened it, decided um, as he processed through what the Bible was saying and then what his students needed. I don't know that he ever actually did that. And so I think that as he did that, he was realizing he didn't need to rely on the curriculum as much. And let's face it, uh, curriculum is helpful because it can save us time, especially if we're teaching the Bible multiple times a week to students. Um, but I just think for my friend, and I would say I just encouragement to those listening, um, if we can look for windows where we can do that, then we can grow in competencies, um, which can help us uh, save time over the long run. Mm, that's good. So I know the next one on the list here, Walt, is ties in with this first one. Yes, yes. And I, I almost jumped the gun and, and and went for it myself. But what would be a second mulligan you'd have on yeah, the list? Yeah, so I wrote this down. And, and uh, man, this was one of the easiest ones to come up with because, boy, I wish I did this more. And that is get kids learning theology and mm-hmm. doctrine. And and doctrine is that body of Christian teachings that really is a, it's the meat on the bones of our faith. And it comes from the word doctrine. I don't know if people know this. I mean, a lot of people think doctrine is a dirty word, but it's, you know, like, I'm not going to teach doctrine. That's just, you know, silly head stuff. It doesn't matter. Well, it does. You know, the root word that doctrine comes from is a Latin word, doceri, which means teaching and learning. And what we need to understand is that all of us teach doctrine. Even people who say, I'm not going to teach doctrine, 
we teach doctrine. We either do it explicitly and intentionally and consciously, which is the careful and proper way to do it, you know, in a more systematized way, uh, or we do it implicitly, unconsciously, and unintentionally, which tends to be, you know, real haphazard. I think the first way to do that is like, it's like you put a, you know, if you ever do a jigsaw puzzle, when I visit my mom, she does jigsaw puzzles. Like she'll have a card table out and a puzzle, and there's pieces scattered everywhere. And you see, as you visit her over time, the puzzle starts to come together. When we're teaching doctrine properly, we're taking all those puzzle pieces and we're helping our kids put them together to see how the Christian faith works. But if we're doing it unconsciously, we're still teaching doctrine, and all we're doing is throwing a bunch of pieces that our kids cannot see the relationship between. And maybe maybe because it's unconscious and, and we're not really thinking through it, the pieces don't even fit together, even if they would try. And, and that's confusing. And that just, you know, every now and then my mom gives up on a puzzle. <laughs> mom, did you finish it? No, couldn't, couldn't get it. You know, it was just too— And we don't want our kids to give up on the puzzle of doctrine. So— we want to teach that. Yeah, and I just—I was thinking as you're saying that I probably—I—I uh, I guess I should watch what I say. I—I I would probably not be a youth pastor today if several years ago I didn't start uh, teaching theology to students. And one way I do that is I just imagine myself if I wasn't in youth ministry, if I was leading a church, I would probably read theology books with my people. And so I translated that to, I'm a youth worker, I'm a youth pastor, so I should read theology books with students. And I have found um, almost 100% success rate in asking students to read theology books um, that not only do they say yes, but also they will read them and they will be hungry for them. Yeah, yeah. And as this happens, what happens is um, it's almost like feeding an appetite. You know, I have a a two-year-old daughter who's almost three, and last night we were doing something, and as we're driving home, she's like, my belly's hungry, right? Because she wanted to eat, she wanted to get home and eat a snack before she went to bed. And I just think that when we feed students theology, what I have seen is they want more of it. And there are books that are um, written for adults that students can handle. And that if we can get them in their hand and discuss them with them, that they will be able to um, not only read them now and discuss them, but they will grow in their appetite. Yeah. Kyle, let me suggest some resources because, yeah, you know, do. we want people to go to play like, okay, all right, I get it. Let me try this. Um, and this is what I would encourage, you know, youth workers to do if they haven't done it yet. Okay, so uh, we just took a reading group through the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. That is a classic. Yep. And you can teach from that. And, and, and even if it's just like one of the things that I like to do is I'll go through and I share quotes every day on social media from some of these things that I'm reading that I think spark appetites, but kids obviously can go much deeper than that. Um, Mm -hmm. Ligonier Ministries, uh, man, they've been around for forever. And when they first got started out in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, and I was getting trained in ministry, we would spend weeks on the campus of the Ligonier Valley Study Center. And I remember sitting in R.C. Sproul's home and eating dinner with he and his Mm -hmm. wife, Vesta, and, you know, with a group of other you know, young campus ministers, and we would be around that table, and we would just learn, learn. And like you said, the more you eat, the hungrier you get. It's like this fountain that that just, it just, the more you have, the more you want, and it never ends. It's like a bottomless pit. So Ligonier Ministries, which you can find online, and there's lots of resources there. Um, You know, there's this new book, Kyle, that I've told you about that I've just started to look at, 
And you mentioned before we started to record, this guy's kind of like the theologian who's very popular right now. Yeah, for sure. Herman Bovink. And um, he's this Dutch guy. But anyway, it's, it's called A Guidebook for Instruction in the Christian Religion. A couple of young uh, students, you know, fresh out of seminary, actually translated this and this new translation that's published by uh, Hendrickson Academic. And we'll include, by the way, a link to, to all of these yeah. things. Chris, Chris Wagner will in the player notes on the notes, uh, uh, you know, for this particular episode, the episode notes on the player, cpyu.org. But a guidebook for instruction in the Christian religion. Now, it's meaty, it's a, but it's a reduction of a four-volume set he had, I think, called Reform Dogmatics. And what they've done with this is translated, and, and Bobbing's intent for this when he wrote this about, you know, a little over 100 years ago, I believe, was for this to serve uh, high school students and young adults. And like you said, Kyle, when you open this up, a lot of youth workers always say, oh, no way. There's no way. We'll start to dig into it. Like you said, yeah. Kyle, students, I think, if you grab just a small group of students who you think can handle this and start to walk through this with them— Wait and see what happens, what the Holy Spirit does as these kids are, you know, learning doctrine. And uh, just one last book I'll recommend related to this. Uh, A couple of guys I know and one of my mentors, Gary Parrott and then Steve Kang, these guys were both Christian ed professors at Gordon-Conwell. They they wrote a wonderful book called Teaching the Faith, Forming the Faithful. And that's a very practical guide. We have students, uh, uh, undergrad and and, uh, master's students in the youth ministry classes I teach, we have them read this book, and it is just um, just a guidebook that's very helpful in in um, not just building a case for why we do this, but showing us how to do it. So that's Teaching the Faith and Forming the Faithful by Steve Kang and Gary Parrott. Yeah, and for our listeners, uh, as you're thinking, where do I start with this? My suggestion is not to hand a book to every one of your students and say, let's read it. My suggestion would be out of your students, whether you have five students or 50 students or 150 students, find two or three or whatever you think is appropriate of students who will actually read the books. Because what you need when you when you want to read theology with students is you need the kids to actually read them. So rather than hand it to every kid, which isn't a bad thing, but uh, pick two or three that you know will read it and start discussing with them on a weekly or biweekly basis. And then as that grows, you can it, it'll it'll multiply. And we've seen that here with our one-to-one Bible reading program and with reading theology books. Uh, when it becomes the popular thing to want to discuss books um, or to want to read the Bible, um, it can it can really change the culture in our youth ministries. So this actually ties in with our next one, number three, um, which I think is maybe uh, one of the more underused uh, strategies and resources. Oh, What's yeah. Your third mulligan. Before I think we take people, a break, your third mulligan. I think, fasten your seatbelt, because I think people may recoil a little bit from this one. But man. And if I recoil, Chris will edit this out. Yeah. No, no, no. I think <laughs> I think you're going to get this, Kyle. And uh, so, so just some background. Uh, I get criticized a lot because I read a lot of dead people. And I have this Amen. little practice where every morning uh, in my devotions, besides Scripture, I read some devotional books. Uh, right now I'm reading Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. Uh, I'm reading a uh, Abraham Kuyper book, Near Unto God. Uh, I'm reading a, a book called uh, Near to the Heart of God, which is a bunch of old, uh, old writings from, I mean, centuries and centuries ago daily. And, and I call this practice Dawn with the Dead. Mm. which is, you know, it just it's just a helpful way. So so if we can do that with our students, and this is where I'm going to send you, this is where the historic 
creeds, and confessions. To, to teach our kids from the historic creeds and confessions. Now, there's a lot of people who will, this is the recoil, right? I mean, what's the thing people usually say? They go, oh, the, you know, the, I, no creed, but the Bible. My creed is the Bible only. Well, no, it's not. And I'm going to tell you why, because you're always interpreting the Bible. Every time you read the Bible and it goes into your head and you start to speak it and teach it, you're interpreting it. And what I'm saying here is these historic creeds and confessions root us and tether us to proper interpretations of the Bible. So we all have a creed, whether it's explicit or implicit, conscious or unconscious. I want to be conscious about this. And this is, I can't write what these guys have written, you know, these these people over history who have thought through these things. So for example, let me let me give you an example. Um, and I think this has gotten some some uh, some good press in the last years, but the Heidel, Heidelberg Catechism, all right? So ima- imagine this. So we, we, in our church, we always recite uh, a question and answer from a catechism. A catechism is a way to teach doctrine, questions and answers. But it's also a great reminder and instruction. You're never too old for instruction. So uh, let me read this, all right? What would happen if in your youth group you would stand together with your students and up on the screen you would have this question, which is question one from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Look, I, as a kid, as an adult, I want to know what that is because life is tough and our kids are aware of this. You're talking about anxiety and depression among kids. And then the answer, to read the answer, that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. All right, so you recite that. Not everyone may have taken that from head knowledge to heart knowledge, but over time and through repetition, we're preaching the gospel to ourselves and we're reminding ourselves of who we are in Jesus Christ and where our hope is. And that's just one of the many questions in here. I mean, this is a—and you can teach from these things. So, you know, that's a great way to go. Um, How many of our students don't know the Lord's Prayer? Do we ever recite that in our youth group meetings? Do we ever have a time just to pause and recite that? Uh, how many of our students don't know the Apostles' Creed, the basic, the most statement, basic, uh, you know, summer, summary of our Christian faith, the essentials of our faith? So I would say use these in our, our meetings, you know, when we, uh, we usually do, what, game, music, message? Add these elements. This is this is instructive, and it, we've got such a rich history. Why would we separate them from the long history of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who have written wonderful, wonderful things? Well, and one of the things that I've yeah, really learned from, we should probably have him on an episode here sometime. Uh, our worship pastor uh, here at my church where I serve, Old North Church, is incorporating this stuff not only into our services, both as a church and as a youth ministry, but like there are songs that have been written and ways to remember this. I know recently um, a few guys with Getty, uh, the Getty music, they they put out a song um, called Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. 
which is actually teaching a catechism. Uh, I think it's actually based off of the Heidelberg catechism um, that if we can get our students singing these uh, catechisms, it's another way they can think about it um, and internalize it and will remember it. Uh, so to the youth worker thinking, okay, if I, if I do these three things, if I come out and I'm heavy on teaching the Bible, I want to read theology with students. And now, now Walt Mueller takes them all again, and he wants to teach the creeds and confessions. Like that's not going to work with my students. I would just say, let's pause for a moment and let's keep Bible teaching as the primary thing that we're doing. But when we think about um, both uh, Mulligan number two, uh, reading theology or teaching theology to students and doctrine, and three, these creeds and confessions, think about how you can incorporate them. I mean, one easy way to teach theology to students is make sure the songs that we're singing in youth ministry line up with what the Bible teaches. And we're teaching, like, instead of having a 10-minute theology lesson, uh, let's sing two songs that are five minutes each that are teaching deep theology. And now they're going home with it in their minds, remembering it. So to the youth worker listening, uh, you don't have to make your youth ministry night three hours long to incorporate all of these, but look for ways to incorporate them into what you're already doing. Walt, does that make sense? Absolutely, and I think that's, uh, those are great recommendations. Kyle, I think we need to take a break. Yes. Uh, so stick with us. We'll be right back and continue this conversation. Hey there, Youth Culture Matters listeners. We've been told that one of our best-kept secrets here at CPYU is our one-minute daily podcast, Youth Culture Today. Each and every weekday, we release a new episode that's timely, practical, and hope-filled, all for an audience of parents, youth workers, and anyone else who cares about kids. Here's a sample from one of our recent Youth Culture Today episodes. Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Forbes magazine recently ran an article about teens with a headline that really grabbed my attention. The headline read, Is there science behind why teens wear hoodies in summer heat? Perhaps you, like me, often find yourself scratching your head and wondering why that kid over there is wearing a sweatshirt on a 95-degree day. Meteorologist Marshall Shepard decided to look into this and posits that there are some obvious reasons for the summer hoodies. They protect the skin from sun damage, guard against bug bites, have pockets to carry things, and cover the bodies of those who have body image concerns. In addition, some research suggests that hoodies provide the same kind of emotional comfort those struggling with anxiety often find in weighted blankets. Perhaps summer hoodies are a reminder of our need to lay off pressuring our kids too much while reminding them of a God whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light for those who cast their cares on Jesus Christ. For more on youth culture, visit us on the web at cpyu.org. Youth workers, do your parents a favor and get them to subscribe to Youth Culture Today wherever they get their podcasts. Well, before we get back into our conversation, the good news is that we've got another giveaway, Chris. Yes. What do, what do you have? All right. We have some extra copies of Carl Truman's newest book, Strange New World. And so we're going to give away three copies. All you have to do is email us at podcast at cpyu.org and send in a recommendation for a cultural topic that you guys want us to discuss on this podcast. So just email us at podcast at cpyu.org. Send us a recommendation for a topic to talk about, and you could be one of three winners of Carl Truman's book, Strange New World. Oh, that's awesome. And, and Chris, what if get... you get so many Chris, what if you get so many people who want this book? Would you maybe raise it to five or six free copies? 
I think that could be done. We'll 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 see. We're, we're guaranteeing three for now, but we need a lot of people to respond. If we, how about this, Kyle? If I, we get over fifty emails responses, then then we'll bump it. Away. We'll bump it up to six. I like that. I got to tell you, this is this because all we're doing here is making Carl Truman rich, <laughs> and, uh, and and I say that because. He, whenever I rave to the book about him and talk about how we're trying to get it into the hands of youth workers, he, he joked, you know, he, you know, if you've listened to him on here, he's very winsome. He is a funny, funny man. And he just says, you know, thanks for, you know, patting my pockets and things like that. And I have asked for a cut of royalties and Mm. he just very quickly changes the subject. He never goes down that road with me. So, uh, Yeah. By the way, you know what? When we talk about Carl Truman, if you're looking for another good podcast, listen to his podcast, Mortification of Spin. You can get that wherever you get your podcast, Mortification of Spin. And if you you'll keep hear... sending people to his podcast, maybe he'll give you some royalties. You know what? I, I don't think it's going to – it's just not going to happen. He digs his heels in, and he's a man of deep, deep commitment. So we'll see. Mm. We'll see what happens. If I get a surprise check in the mail, it'll be great. Okay, Walt, let's move on. Uh, we're thinking about if Walt was going to go start a youth ministry in a church, uh, Twenty, let's say 22-year-old Walt Mueller. I wish I knew the man, uh, but I didn't at age <laughs> when he was 22. Uh, but that's a, that, that could be a conversation for another time. Uh, we did three mulligans that he would take. Uh, what else would you do? What else would you make sure is part of your student ministry if uh, you were starting over? Okay, I got to catch my thoughts here because I'm imagining me meeting you at 22. Yeah, I would have just walked away going, that guy's way too serious and mature for me. And you would have walked away, Kyle, and gone, I am never going to have a conversation with that you-who again. Um, yeah, I have no anyway, comment. when I think back, yeah. So, okay, so, yeah, number four. And this is what I would incorporate. So so we do this in our church worship services every week, and I think we've forgotten this. I, I, I visit a lot of churches, you know, as I'm on the road and I travel, and we don't have this, a corporate confession of sin, mm. where together we recognize as we approach God in worship that we come to him as sinners. Uh, our lives are darkened not only by our sinful nature, but we have sinned since the last time we've come together, and together— we, we read a confession of sin. We don't all stand there and yell out what it was we've done, you know, individually, but we read a confession of sin that's theologically sound, and then our pastor or our worship leader will read an assurance of pardon. And what an assurance of pardon is, is basically saying, okay, now that you confessed your sin, Jesus is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sin. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, for example, We might hear as an assurance of pardon the words of Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It is good news. And so it gets us in the habit of doing this. And I think sometimes, I just say, Kyle, this whole practice here, is a pushback on what I have increasingly called from my world, my evangelical world, evangelical shenanigans, where we've just dumbed things down, we've turned everything into a show, and we don't take seriously what it is that we're doing, or as seriously as we should, what it is that we're doing when we come together for worship. So one way to recover this, and this is all I'll say about this, a very practical help and source is get yourself, as a youth worker, a book of common prayer. And, um, you know, I, I have one I got from the, um, 
ACNA Anglican Church of North America. Uh, it's a leather-bound book of common prayer. It's so helpful in my own personal devotions, but you will find confessions of sin and assurances of pardon in there that you can that you can use. Yeah, and this is also why, again, because uh, we don't want to put a weight on youth workers' shoulders, um, overbearing how they're going to do this. This is why it's important also to encourage your students that youth ministry is not enough; that they need to be in with the corporate gathering of God's people at your church. Yes. So that yes, let's let's look for ways to incorporate this into the youth ministry. But hopefully, they are in the main gathering, experiencing this with people from different generations. Uh, so I, I just think uh, oftentimes in youth ministry, we can try to build our own kingdom that's trying to compete with the corporate gathering, but let's make sure the kids are in that corporate gathering where they're experiencing this, hopefully. And then um, I just think about our gathering here. One thing we have tried to do over the past several years is our corporate prayer is several minutes long. Usually an elder or pastor is up there praying corporately leading God's people in prayer for several minutes. And that is hard for even adults, especially students, to sit there and focus on what is being prayed for two, three, four, five minutes. Um, but if prayer, if we actually believe that prayer is talking to God, that should be part of our gathering, and we want students in that gathering. And so I just think about um, corporate confession of prayer. Uh, let's get students into that gathering to experience Yeah. That. You know, I imagine, Kyle, if uh, some youth workers latch onto this and take our advice— and start doing this and see the value of it. I can I can imagine some youth workers making waves in their churches when they go to the mm. weekly staff meeting and say, hey, uh, could we recite something in a worship service from a historic creed, or could we do the Apostles' Creed? Hey, why don't we have a corporate prayer of confession and some sort of assurance of pardon? Uh, but that's that's the kind of stuff you want to get in trouble for. Yeah, and right? I think get that— Get some pushback, yeah. I, I just, you know, I— uh, think back when I started as a youth worker and I thought I knew more than I did. And everything doesn't have to be a competition with others in your church. Right. Just like if 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 you wish that you could have more um, liturgy in your youth ministry and, and in your church, that's not something that normally happens. Like don't compete with what's happening. Just, you know, infiltrate what you can into the youth ministry. And what's going to happen is over time, certain aspects are going to flow um, into the church as a whole. But uh, the youth ministry should not be what is driving the church. What is being preached in the church um, should be what's driving the church, and the youth ministry should be playing playing off of that. But that could be a whole another episode oh, that yeah. maybe we'll, we'll touch on later. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's go to mulligan number five. Yeah, number five. So let's expose our kids to missionaries, mm. foreign missionaries, or people yes. doing—and and, and local missionaries as well, through uh, missionary stories of those uh, who no longer are living— there's a great history of missions and some amazing stories, and those who are living. And we can—there's a lot that's published, right? I mean, I, I just had this conversation the other day with somebody about, uh, you know, the supernatural, just the, just the principalities and powers and what's happening behind the scenes that we don't see. Someone asked me if there's a, you know, kind of an alternate reality that we don't see, and I explained, yeah, the Bible talks about that, you know, principalities and powers and— uh, spiritual forces that are at work in our lives, um, you know, God's legion of angels and and the the uh, the counterattacks of Satan. I mean, we we typically don't talk about that in foreign missions. They're very aware of that, and when you read these books and these stories, it is amazing uh, just how God works in and through people in the pushback on the forces of darkness as the gospel 
moves forth and is proclaimed. And so, you know, to get people and expose your kids. Now, we typically we expose our kids to missions through what? Service projects, mission trips, things like that. But I think to, on a regular basis, get them thinking about this. You know, have them read a missionary biography. So I uh, I discovered this book in uh, uh, that was signed by J. Christie Wilson, who was one of my profs at Gordon-Conwell. He, he died several years ago. And, you know, when I sat under his teaching of foreign missions, I did not realize how highly respected and widely known that man was. Iconic in the missions movement, one of the first organizers of the Urbana Missions Conference, one of the first missionaries to Afghanistan. His stories are unbelievable. And he had given Lisa and myself uh, an autographed copy of his book, a collection of true stories called More to Be Desired Than Gold. And I've been reading through those again, and it reminds me of God's call to missions and how God works uh, when the gospel goes forth through our commitment to proclaiming the gospel. And then I grabbed a book that I'm just about done with called Where No One Has Heard, Where No One Has Heard, The Life of J. Christie Wilson, Jr., which is an amazing little short biography written by, I didn't even know it existed, I just contacted him, Ken Wilson, who was one of my seminary classmates. Mm. And it's just so rich to read this. And, you know, Christy Wilson, he he exposed us to a book called To the Golden Shore, which was the biography of Adoniram Judson. Lisa and I, when we lived in New England going to seminary, we lived just two blocks in Salem, Massachusetts, from the wharf that that um, Adoniram Judson and his wife uh, left from as the first foreign missionaries sent from the United States. And I would go down there and stand there and just, you know, think about that. And I, I, I don't know that I ever understood the full gravity of that, that that was holy ground, that place. But to expose our kids to this, I think, can be just life-changing. Yeah, I I agree. And I think the uh, the caveat that you said earlier is, yes, we want to expose kids to mission trips. We want them to be serving. We would say students uh, sometimes learn best while doing uh, but we need to educate them in what God has done in the past. I have two quick book recommendations for youth workers. One of them uh, written by a guy named Danny Aiken. Uh, it's called 10 Who Changed the World. Uh, each chapter, I believe, um, obviously 10 chapters. Each chapter is about a different missionary in the past. Uh, people like William Carey, um, Jim Elliott, and others uh, would be really easy to either read with students or pick one of them and um, and just do a little segment on that. Another book uh, that came out, I was just pulled it up here on my screen, came out in 2018. Um, it's a thick book uh, called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy uh, by John Piper. It's 21 chapters of biographies. And I love the subtitle, um, Faithful, Flawed, and Fruitful. And what we want to be doing is getting students uh, into these biographies and just uh, I would just encourage if you're listening to this and you're looking for a book to buy uh, for your child's youth pastor, uh, this would be a great resource just to put in his uh, in his hand. I, I also just think about when you were preparing messages for students, you don't have to do a whole message on missions. That could be helpful. But how could you use one of these uh, resources to give an illustration to just kind of uh, sprinkle a little um, a little uh, illustration in your message that can help kids think about missions. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Jim Elliott. I think yeah. I want to, as you said that, it, it sparked me. You know, of course, Elizabeth Elliott, who now is yeah. part of my Dawn of the Dead, uh, which is interesting because the guy I just uh, talked about, Ken Wilson, who wrote the biography of uh, J. Christie Wilson. By the way, they're not related. But Ken, when I 
talked with him recently. We were reminiscing back when he was a student at Gordon-Conville with me. Elizabeth Elliott lived right up the road, and he was a boarder at her house. He he lived uh, there and was able to you know get a lot of uh, boy a lot of great mentoring and input into his life from her, obviously. But her first husband, who was martyred. Uh, along with several other missionaries, Jim Elliott, who you mentioned, a young man, uh, not much older than the kids in our youth group when this happened to him, the book Through Gates of Splendor, and there's an old film about this, and, you know, it's this old grainy black and white, and it's narrated. I mean, but it's still just a beautiful, beautiful story of uh, God's faithfulness and the courage of Elizabeth Elliott to go back and minister Mm -hmm. to the very people who took the life of her uh, of her young husband? You know, there she was yeah. with a with a young daughter. So, yeah, yeah. What an encouragement. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on. So yeah. uh, it would be number four, five, six. Number six. Yep. Yep. And and uh, let me just mention this quickly. This is one where I would say teach on suffering, a biblical theology of suffering. Now, why do I say this? Uh, for two reasons. One is, by and large, we have not suffered here in the United States. I often say to people, I was born in one of the safest, uh, most wonderful places. Why and why was God so graceful to me in times of great peace? And I did not have to go to war just because of my age. Um, you know, I was too young for Vietnam. Now I'm too old for anything else. And, you know, it's just we just haven't experienced. We experience heartache. I get it. Yeah. And we experience suffering. I get it. But when you look at the global scheme of things and Christians around the world, it is— um, it's just it's just unbelievable. So, you know, our zeitgeist here, our, our spirit of the times is, the message to our kids is, you know, avoid pain, pursue pleasure. And so we get a cut and we think it's the end of the world. Or we have heartache or somebody says something nasty about us because we're a Christian, you know. We, that's Look, suffering is coming. And I would just say all we have to do is read the signs of the times, but also yep. the scripture. Second Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, you know, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. I mean, it, it just goes on and on in the scriptures. God is with us in our suffering, and you know, to read Job. Um, it, it, I mean, just start there and teach your students Job, but prepare them for suffering. Um, you know, why so many commandments to do not fear, you know, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, 365 times in the scriptures, because God knows, you know, life is difficult, and these things become difficult for us, and we suffer. So teach on suffering. There's great resources on that. We'll just let you go. Look for those. Maybe we'll post some afterwards. Well, and one thing that I have uh, just come to realize is the disservice we do to our students if we're teaching them that if they're going to follow Jesus, that they're always going to be popular, right? I I remind my students a lot that if we're following a crucified Savior, it makes sense that if we're actually going to follow Jesus, that then um, it will probably um, have a negative effect on our our, um, popularity. I I think especially of students at Christian schools who um, are at a school where Uh, supposedly everyone, um, now every Christian school is different, but where students are supposed to be Christians or are at least um, pushing in that direction, where I just think about my students at at, um, Christian school who, if they're actually going to follow Jesus, they're actually going to take Bible class serious. They're actually going to memorize God's word, not as an assignment, but as life itself. Um, 
that they might get pushback. They might get made fun of for that. And we just need to remind our students with suffering um, that if we follow a crucified Savior, it makes sense that we're going to suffer too. Yeah, take up your cross, right? Yeah. And we were called to enter into the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to take uh, one more quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to finish uh, with three more recommendations that Walt has for youth workers, but also uh, for parents as we think about a new school year ahead. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. And we're back on this episode of Youth Culture Matters as uh, we're talking with Walt about uh, if he could go back and start uh, being a youth worker again uh, in the local church, what he would add um, or make sure that he had in his youth ministry. And so uh, we've had six so far, and uh, now we're going to go, what is number seven, Walt? Well, I really think that youth workers in today's world need to teach our students about the persecuted church and pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted globally. Um, I have been reading a devotional this year that I, I have no idea where I got this, Kyle. And, and uh, you know, it's called Daily Inspiration from the Lion's Den. It's this big, thick thing. The subtitle is mm. Devotionals to Help You Stand Strong Through the Storm. Paul Estabrooks has written it. He works with Open Doors USA. Some of you are familiar with Open Doors, the ministry. Uh, you can find them by just Googling them, you know, Open Doors USA, and they're a great resource on the global persecuted church. But I, it was providential that somebody gave this to me. I, I It's been sitting on a shelf for, for years, and when I pulled it down because I was looking for something a little bit different, little did I know how it would rock my world. And, mm. you know, the joy of reading it is that my eyes are being open to things that are very difficult. The fear that I have in reading it is just going, okay, Lord, what are you preparing me for? Yeah. Right? Personally, I'm just going to be blunt and honest there because I like a life that's easy. But, the, you know, I, I think, as I said, you know, suffering is, we all suffer, but there's a certain kind of suffering coming that we just haven't experienced before, and that is the persecution that will come for following Jesus Christ. Open Doors tells us that one in seven of our brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide experience high levels, high levels of persecution, not just persecution, but one in seven high levels of persecution. That's 360 million Christians. And as I've been reading this book, mm. it's just been rocking my world. Mm. And the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six that if one part of the body of Christ suffers, every part suffers with it. And we need to teach our students, open their eyes to the fact that there are Christians who are being persecuted and suffering around the world. We need to pray for them, and we need to learn from them. And I will just tell you that uh, this particular devotional, which is built on Scripture and brings Scripture to life through something that you said earlier, you know, stories, little snippets of what's happening globally, uh, uh, there, there are times where I just pause and I can't. I can't read anymore because what I'm reading is just so uh, it, it's it it hits hard, but yet it's incredibly hopeful because you see mm -hmm. God at work. And these types of stories, you know, learning from people who have gone before us on the trail, prepare us for the trail 
or the road that we may be heading down ourselves, and I truly believe we are. So I, I think we need to be teaching about this. Maybe one of the great tools that you could use that comes from Open Doors USA, besides this particular uh, devotional book, is they have uh, online a free world watch list. And this is a regular update on what's happening in some of the places where the persecution is the thickest and the deepest. And yeah, look, we it's so easy to become desensitized, right? And we know that one of the marks of adults and kids in today's world here in North America is when you see something difficult on television, you become desensitized to it. So maybe it, the empathy is not there. And we very easily turn away from it, either because we are desensitized to it or we go, I don't want to watch that. Let me let me watch something a little more positive. We need to expose ourselves to the realities of what is happening to human beings, fellow brothers and sisters around the world. And so uh, I would expose kids to this because we, it's not only going to prepare them, but if we can get kids praying for the persecuted church, what an example that would be to the adults as well to have that. And, and what a blessing to our persecuted brothers and sisters. Well, that's a really good word. I think it also just opens their eyes, <clears throat> as you were just saying about them praying now, uh, thinking about the trajectory it could set for them praying for the persecuted church. Uh, you know, if they're 15 years old and God uh, has them alive till 85, for the next seven decades, uh, they can be praying for the persecuted church and leading others to do the same, I just yeah. think is is helpful. Um, I every time I and as we transition to number eight, every time I say Mulligan, I just think about you and I golfing. And uh, I just. Uh, by the I way, by the way, let oh, me tell you this: the second man. thing I was going to say in the beginning is not just you know I try to hit the ball hard, hard and far, and you know hit the jeep at the driving range. But if if you ever hear that anybody has invited me to go out and play golf, buy stock in golf ball companies, like immediately because I it's just like. I am losing the balls constantly. You know, it goes here, there, and everywhere. And uh, so I do I, – when I would play golf, I'd always spend a lot of time looking for lost balls of others yes. as well. Like if I could just replace the ball I just <laughs> lost, I'd feel like that was a victory, right? If I could yes. end the game with as many balls as I started with, even if they say something different on them and they're not the balls I had in the beginning, you know, I would feel just incredibly great about about that. So – yeah, it's okay, Walt. It's, it's okay. This isn't a. Well, golf I don't play podcast. golf. I don't play culture. golf. Yep. Youth culture matters. Golf Number doesn't. Eight. No, golf doesn't matter. Uh, we just lost some listeners. Yeah, it, uh, you play golf for the glory of God. That's right. That's a conversation for another time. What? Uh, what? Uh, number eight. Number eight. Okay, so you know, I get asked a lot, like, "What's the big issue facing kids today that we need to speak to?" And man, there's a whole bunch of them, right? But I just chose one for this that I think is so important, and that's digital discipleship. And that's on my mind right now because this last week I just started uh, co-teaching at our church an adult Sunday school class on digital discipleship. You know, how do we navigate uh, the world of all these technological tools starting and sometimes ending with our smartphones? How do we navigate that in ways that uh, are done to the glory of God and worshipful? How do we model redemptive use of tools that can be used in non-redemptive ways how, how do we you know how do we use these things to glorify uh the, the the kingdom of god as opposed to the kingdoms of the world the flesh and the devil so uh, i think we need to teach that and let me give you one tool that's really helpful well two two tools one is we have a digital kids initiative on our website and there's lots of 
you know, information and downloads there. And Chris is always updating that with some of the latest news and stats on, you know, what kids are doing, some of the research that's out there that I know you can draw from and use. Pass it on to parents for sure. But I would also recommend we're using in our Sunday school class for the next 12 weeks as a text loosely, Tony Ranke's book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. We had Tony on a podcast here. I can't remember what episode it is. Chris will link to it to talk about that book. And, um, you know, you could run parents through that because it'll help them understand uh, some of the negative effects, uh, some of the undoing of our phones. He doesn't say get rid of our phones. He says use them redemptively. So I think he's done a great service. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, And then I've also got uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, I'll be up in um, British Columbia to teach for the Coalition in Youth Ministry Excellence with Mark Penner, a class on youth culture. And one of the texts that's required is 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. We actually used it last year and and, and aired a podcast, one of the last episodes uh, more recently with a group of students from that class who read the book with their impressions and takeaways from that. That was very helpful as well. So, and um, yeah, so those are good books. By the way, I started reading one that I'm going to recommend. I just started it last night. I I hope to get through it, uh, you know, today or tomorrow. I'm going to spend some time with this, but uh, this is a new book from the Gospel Coalition that's come out called uh, Social Sanity in an Insta World, and the contributors include Jen Wilkin, Melissa Kruger, Laura Wiffler, and more. And uh, it's written primarily for women. We know that females, uh, the ladies and the girls, really, their, their experience with social media is different from that of men in terms of the kinds of things that they will post and what they'll experience. And I just thought this was brilliant. So as a man, it's been very helpful to me as well. And and I'm going to finish that. And I'm going to recommend it because it, it already seems good. And I know when we get off this, I'm going to say, hey, we got to get these gals on this podcast to talk about this. So digital discipleship. Okay, well, this leads us to the last mulligan. Last one. The la- I mean, nine mulligans on 18 holes of golf would be, uh, for me, pretty good. What when you say pretty good, you mean? Oh, it, I mean, yeah, like, like you, I mean, if you're I only have nine, if 18. I only have nine horrible yeah, yeah. shots out of eighteen yeah, holes, yeah, I'd be yeah. feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah, if I have nine on the first hole, I'd be feeling <laughs> good about myself. Okay, so here's the What's last number one. Nine? All right, look, one of the great things that's happening in our culture right now is is we're becoming increasingly aware of. Uh, I think when it comes to people with special needs, kids with special needs especially in a church, the value and dignity of these individuals who have been made in the image of God. Uh, they're dealing with, you know, some different things. And, and, and traditionally in our culture, we've written these people off. I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, we'd go visit my grandparents in the house that my mom grew up in, and there was uh, uh, probably about a, a 30-year-old guy at the time who lived next door named Bobby, and Bobby had Down syndrome. And what was unusual about Bobby living with his mom was that at that point in time, most kids who were born with Down syndrome were institutionalized. And when I went to work in a psychiatric hospital uh, back in the 1970s, I, I walked into that, that there was a ward where a lot of folks with Down syndrome who were just delightful, wonderful, joy-filled human beings had in essence been I think in many ways, thrown away, ostracized, marginalized, 
and um, not appreciative for who they were are and how they were made to be. And I know in our church we have several uh, individuals, children and young adults with Down syndrome. It's been beautiful to watch them be integrated into the church. Um, and and I along with that, you know, just when we talk about uh, autism, even if we talk about kids who are are orphan kids or who are adopted, there's I, most churches are having. I mean, there's all sorts of different categories of of students that maybe we weren't mindful of in youth ministry before, but they have special circumstances, and it requires us to understand those circumstances and really deliberately reach out to them. So I know in our church there's a huge movement, as there are in many churches. Uh, for adopted kids, and in our church as well, refugee kids. Um, we are living here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This is the refugee capital of the United States, and we have a large Burmese uh, refugee population at our church. They've been there for 11 or 12 years, and it's growing. We have a large and growing Congolese refugee population in our church, and they run a separate worship service on Sunday mornings in their language, but they also are um, involved in the larger ministries of our church and are fully uh, part of our congregation, we need to, you know, really make space and, and develop understanding and deliberately work to minister to the needs of these folks. So uh, I, I would recommend just a couple things. Um, we've talked with the folks from Engaging Disability on this podcast before. They have some great recommendations and resources, and I know Chris will link to them if you need some resources on how to minister to those who are disabled. I I think about a Sunday school class we have for children where the lights are low and uh, the room is set up very differently, and we have a a person who has, um, uh, you know, tremendous gifts and abilities and working with is educated in special needs education, working with those children in Sunday school. So that's one. And then uh, our friend Rick Morton, a long-time friend of mine, has written a book called Orphanology. He's adopted uh, kids from from Russia, and I know that he's helped us understand a little more about that. And then in a more general sense, Chad Clark's book that came out a few years ago that a bunch of us had the opportunity to contribute to called uh, Adoptive Youth Ministry, which relates in somehow in some way to this. So... um, yeah, I don't know, Kyle. What you're, you and I haven't talked about this, but your experience mm-hmm. at your church. I don't know if you folks are doing anything with this, or even in your youth ministry. Yeah, I, I, I've learned over the years one key in communicating with parents that can be helpful uh, is just possibly to do a survey at the beginning of the year that doesn't ask like, does your child have any learning disabilities or any other type of disabilities. But uh, just saying, is there anything else you you think would be helpful for us to know about your child? And at that point, it puts uh, the option in the parent's hand to share. Um, now, obviously, uh, depending on um, on the child and their lifestyle, some things may be more obvious than others. Uh, but just again, uh, back to our the the last episode that came out on partnering with parents. So much of this uh, this category can be helped by having clear communication with parents. Uh, so that we can minister to the whole family, because we want families to be able to come to come to church on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or whenever your church gathers, uh, and be able to have their whole family ministered to, uh, no matter, um, yeah, who who they are and and what they are currently going through. So, you know, yeah, and Kyle, one helpful. one of the great benefits of doing this consciously is that you, you're 
you're nurturing your other students into how to care mm-hmm. for yeah. folks that you know they may be at a loss for how to care for. So one great example I know I've mentioned on the podcast in the past is back in the late 1980s, we had a young man come to our youth group who was a friend of several of the guys from one of the high schools who was and he was deaf. Yeah, and you know that created. Uh, some challenges because a lot of the the technological tools that we would have now at our disposal that would help some help someone like me communicate uh, in a youth group meeting so that so that he would have been able to you know understand everything we, we don't we didn't have those then and what blew me away I, and I still think about this these kids that I had about four or five guys who were so concerned about him that they started to learn sign language. That's awesome. And it was amazing to watch them be able to communicate. And, uh, man, that had such an impact on me because I didn't learn sign language. Right. And it just, you know, blew me away that these guys were able to do this. And, you know, they weren't proficient at it, but they were getting better. And and it meant the world to that young man. Yeah. Well, Walt, thank you for uh, sharing that. And I think that's a good good place for us to end. Is there anything else as – Youth workers and parents are starting a new school year. Any last encouragements you would have for them before we wrap this episode up? Yeah, the beginning of the year is always a time to go into a a period of self-evaluation. You know, what have I done well? What have I not done well? What have I been doing that I should be doing? What have I not been doing that I should be doing? And, you know, while we jokingly refer to these as as my mulligans, and and there's seriousness in it as well, uh, I would say, you know, this is where I would say to youth workers as an older guy, what are you doing about you know, what are you doing about these different things? And so uh, take steps. I know this could be overwhelming, especially if nine of these things are things you, you've never even thought of before, all, all nine. But, you know, take steps to uh, implement this into your youth ministry and just watch, you know, what the, what the Lord will do. So, yeah, thanks, Kyle. As we, uh, as we finish up, uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, Chris Wagner here, at CPYU, he has been so faithfully all these years now, you know, engineering this podcast, but also scribbling notes and looking for links and adding them on the player. So if you go to CPYU.org, you look for episode number 157, this episode, scroll down under the player, you will find links to everything that we've mentioned here and probably more. We also want to ask you that wherever it is that you get your podcasts, we know you can get Youth Culture Matters and our other CPYU podcasts there, subscribe, give us a review, you know, like it, and we want to hear from you as well. So, Chris, the uh, email address again? Podcast at cpyu.org. I'm not sure why I can't remember that, but uh, thanks. Podcast at cpyu.org. So we hope you all have a, a, a great kickoff to your youth ministry year. Uh, We hope that God will do great things in and through your efforts with students. We're praying for you. And if there's anything else that we can do to assist you, please let us know. We hope this has been an encouragement to you. We'll catch you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.